As we approach the task of preaching this evening, let's bow our hearts and heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray that your spirit would be among us, that he would open up our hearts, our eyes, our ears, our minds to you and your word, that through your word, we may see your loving heart for us in Christ. We ask this all in the name of your Son, our Savior. Amen. You may be seated. These last couple of weeks for, for us, for Kyla and I, can be defined by boxes. Kyla, Carson, and I, well, really, Kyla and I, with very little help from Carson, actually, uh, we, we've packed up all of our belongings and put them into boxes. But I, I think the whole year of vicarage can really be defined by boxes. Because before you get here, you pack all your stuff up. And you know what? You're excited. You're excited to pack your stuff up. You're excited to put everything in boxes. You're excited to come to vicarage. I was excited to come to Frankenmuth, excited to come to St. Lawrence. And then you get here. And you know what? You're excited to unpack. You're excited to unpack your boxes, to kind of, kind of put your house the way that you want it to. You're excited to get your office going. You're excited that, that your feet can finally be on the ground in ministry. And then what it feels like is once those feet have finally hit and you're not treading water anymore, you're finally making ground, find yourself packing up those boxes once again. And though packing up the boxes this time was certainly not as exciting as last time, you're not going to hear me complain about, about it. Because when you sign up for Vicarage, you sign up for both coming and leaving. It's just part of the, the gig. Now, I'm assuming not many of you guys are, are packing up all your stuff and throwing it into a truck and crossing state lines. But I'm, a, I'm assuming and I'm pr pretty confident about the fact that all of you have packed for some kind of journey at one point in your life or another. If that be, you know, packing up for a long extended family vacation, if that, that is packing up a moving truck and mo moving, or if that's just, you know, throwing some stuff in the car really quick and going for a quick getaway up north. I think that you can understand this parallel here, that there's always those last-minute things you always seem to for forget. You always do one last sweep through the house, one last sweep through the bedrooms, one last sweep through the bathrooms. Well, I, I did that, and in fact, I have forgotten a few things. So I, I, I was hoping that it would be okay that I would take the next couple of minutes here to, to pack up my final box here. Um, I came across this. Uh, this is my Bible. Actually, I, I call it my, my preaching Bible. And, and I call it my preaching Bible because this is the Bible that I read the, the texts in before sermons, before Bible studies. And they have little margins on the end here that I can kind of write notes in that, that might help guide the, the Bible study or the sermon. No more sermons here at St. Lawrence after this. So I think I can go ahead and, and pack this up here. I came across this. This is an ornament that was given to me, I'm, I'm rather sure, just, just very quickly after Christmas. And it was given to me by one of the many, many nice people here at St. Lawrence. And it says, My Vicarage 2017 to 2018, St. Lawrence, Frankenmuth, Michigan. 
When I see this, I will be reminded about the year of joy that I've spent serving the saints here in the community of Frankenmuth. But the bridge is just about over, and I don't want this to get broken. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and pack it up in the box and put the box in a box. It's not just all of this highly emotional, highly sentimental stuff. I actually forgot to pack a few practical things. Um, and this, this actually turned out to be a little bit more funny than I, I thought. Uh, so I often have a coffee mug with, with me. If, if you see me at the beginning of church, anytime in the mor- morning, I usually have a coffee mug. The trick is that I leave that coffee mug everywhere. And in fact, I had lost a coffee mug here for two and a half months before I found it before the Thanksgiving Eve service, which is very ironic. I was very thankful that I, I found it. Um, but I put it aside so I wouldn't lose it so that I could show it to you guys, and I lost it. So this is supposed to symbolize my little coffee mug here. And I left this, this shirt out. I, I don't know if I was thinking that I would put on another shirt after packing the truck or, or, or whatnot, um, but I don't think the color black lends itself very well. So I'm going to put this Let's, Let's Go Duke shirt into my, my b- box here. Well, I seem to... Seem to have gotten it all. It seems like I'm finally to that point. Finally gotten my, my box packed up, got everything in. So I'm going to go ahead and kind of put this back here for the rest of the message. Hopefully I don't knock it down. If you know anything about my preaching, I like to, to move. So we'll see how, how well that, that goes. You know, the gospel reading actually talked about a, a journey. And it is a journey that Jesus tasked the disciples on on going. It's a journey that Jesus tasked the disciples on going two by two. But what's most interesting that I think, in fact, is when Jesus tasked the disciples on going on this journey. He tasked them right after he got rejected from his hometown. Did did you catch, catch that? Essentially, the picture that the gospel gives us is Jesus gets rejected from his hometown pivots and turns and says, all right, disciples, it's your turn now. And the disciples got to be thinking to themselves, what? Are you kidding me? Jesus, if you know anything about politics, it's that it should be the easiest to win your home state, to win your hometown, and you just got rejected. Jesus, if they didn't like you, they're certainly not going to like us. Fact check really quick, Jesus. Your message seems to be exceedingly unpopular. Are you sure it's your best plan to send us out? Well, you know, the disciples weren't the only ones that were tasked with sending an unpopular message out on their journey. There was a man in the Old Testament reading. His name was Ezekiel. He was a, a prophet, And he was a prophet that was sent with an unpopular message to a people. And oh, was his message unpopular. He lived and served during the Babylonian exile, which just simply means that God had exiled his people out of their homeland because of their unfaithfulness. In fact, God refers to his people as rebels or rebellious in seven out of eight times. In, or seven times out of eight verses. You see that Ezekiel had an unpopular message, which included that he was to tell God's people that their holy city, 
Jerusalem, it'd get demolished. And their beloved temple that the great King Solomon built, it was going to get toppled over and destroyed. But amidst this unpopular message, amidst the the, uh, words of rebel and rebellious, I love how God tells Ezekiel what his message is. I I don't know if you guys caught this, but it was in Ezekiel 2 verse 4. He said this, I send you to them and you shall say to them, thus says the Lord God. Is that not what we are to do as Christians? To go out and say to the world, thus says the Lord God. Essentially, just meaning that we go out to tell people what God has already said. We don't come up with anything new. No, we go out and bring a message of law and gospel to his people. But we don't do it in a a mean way. No, we, we do everything out of love. But sometimes that doesn't soften the blow, does it? You know, essentially, we are deputies of God. Now, let me unpack that and explain that a little bit more. When I think of the word deputy, I think of a man on a horse in the wild, wild west riding around and amidst his town next to a bigger horse with a bigger and more intimidating man with a larger badge that says sheriff. And those two tandem would would ride around the city and amidst the city to make sure that nobody bad got in, in there. I don't think that that is exceedingly helpful in what we mean by deputy here. So I did some very deep research on the word deputy. And by deep, I mean I typed into the Google search bar deputy definition. And this is what the Google search bar told me here. Deputy, a person whose immediate superior is a senior figure within an organization and, this is the important part here, who is empowered to act as a substitute for this superior. You see, our government is set up in such a way that we have a president, we have a vice president, we got lots of people underneath them. Now, some of those lots of people underneath them are what we call ambassadors. We have ambassadors to different countries. But I'm going to say that an an, an ambassador is is nothing more than a deputy because they go as a substitute for the president. So, one of the ambassadors or, or the deputies that we have. Her name is Miss Carla Sands. She is a deputy or an ambassador to the country of Denmark. So how this would play out is that the president would call Miss Sands and say, Miss Sands, I have a message for you to bring to the country of Denmark. Now, there's a couple of things, a few things that Miss Sands would need to know. One, she would need to know what kind of the, the mind and will of the president is, a.k.a. kind of like what, what is behind this message. Why is he or she wanting to send this message over to Den- Denmark? And then Miss Sands would need to know what that message was and what that message wasn't. So how that would go is our president would call Miss Sands and say, Miss Sands, I want you to bring a message to the country of Denmark. 
The message is that we still want peace with the country of Den- Denmark. And Miss Ann says, 10-4, you got it, I'll get right on it. Now, Miss Sands does not have the authority to march herself over to Denmark to sit down at the table and say, all right, guys, we've had enough. America is done with you. It's time for war. Miss Sands does not have the authority to do that because the president has not deputized her to say that. That's not the message that the president gave her. She was deputized to bring a specific message to a specific people. And I think that is what our role is as Christians, that we are deputies of God, just like Ezekiel, just like the disciples in Mark 6. We are deputized to bring a message to those people around us. And we don't have the authority to change the the message. It's not like we can walk around and say, hey guys, Jesus is coming back in 2022. No, that's not what Jesus said. We don't have the authority to say, in fact, you know, Jesus doesn't want you to be saved and he wants no one to come to the knowledge of the truth. In fact, there is no truth. No, it's not what Jesus tells us. We are called to bring a message of law and gospel to God's people. In fact, we are called to bring a message, an unpopular message, to a people that will ultimately reject us. Just like what happened with the disciples, just like what happened with Jesus. They will ultimately reject us. So the question is, if we're to go out to the world and say, thus says the Lord God, what does the Lord God say? What are we to go out and tell them? Well, for the disciples in Mark 6, it's an unpopular message. It's summarized in Mark 6, verse 12. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. Have you tried that one out recently in one of your conversations? Have, have you cut, cut off one of, one of your conversations for a call to repentance? You see, I don't think that I need to stand up here and tell you that this message of repentance is unpopular. I think that you feel it and you live it every day. When your friends or your coworkers are telling you about their activities from the weekend and they participated in less than godly activities and you're thinking to yourself that probably wasn't your best option. When you watch our culture struggle with homosexual relations and and you know that it's wrong, but you don't want to say it because you don't want to hurt anybody or you don't want to offend anyone. You're feeling that unpopular message. But you know, you don't just see this need for repentance. You don't just see it in other people. No, you see it in your life as well. When you participate in less than godly activities, when you neglect your family for a more increased workload, when you put your needs before the needs of others. You see, with this message of repentance, it always starts with you. Because when it starts with you, you quickly realize that in fact you are no better than those people around you. 
that you need just as much grace as those people around you. And with a clear conscience, with clean hearts, you go out then and proclaim that unpopular message. But you know, even then, even with our good intentions, sometimes it doesn't work quite like we want it to. There are times that we have, we have uh, fallen at Jesus' feet in repentance and received holy absolution. We receive the words of forgiveness, and we are geared up and ready to go. And we get to that point where we're about to proclaim that, that unpopular message. And then all of a sudden, we feel too weak. We feel too small. We feel like we aren't quite that right person. We feel too judgmental. We think that we don't know enough about the Bible, so we're not going to say anything about the Bible at all. We feel like Jesus has called the wrong person on the wrong journey with the wrong message. If that's you, if that's you, and when that's you, the words of St. Paul in our epistle reading, they ring like sweet gospel in our ears. He says this to you, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Jesus' grace, God's grace, it's sufficient for you. It was sufficient for the disciples when they had to go bring an unpopular message to a people that would reject them. It was sufficient for St. Paul, who had to bring that same unpopular message amidst persecution. And it was sufficient for Ezekiel, who had to bring that unpopular message to a rebellious people. And it is sufficient for you and your journeys through life. Because ultimately, when it comes down to it, all we need is God's grace. You need God's grace. I need God's grace. God's grace, that's what got you through this year. God's grace, that's what got me through this year. Hmm. All we need is God's grace, huh? Well, if all we need is God's grace, I think I'm, I think I'm ready to go here then. I'm just going to go ahead and, and pack up this box here. I want to tape up my last box. All right. I'm ready to go. Though my boxes are packed, they're pack, packed up. I pray that God's grace would be all sufficient for you in your journeys when you bring an unpopular message to a broken and hurting world. Come soon, Lord Jesus. Amen. We, we rise and we, we pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us your grace. Your grace is all that we need. It's all that we've needed in the past. It's all that we need right now. And Lord, it's that grace that we will need in the future when we go out and bring that unpopular message to your world. Lord, during that time, guide us and pr protect us. Give us your grace to love our neighbors around us. This and all things we ask in your most holy name. Amen.